0: Welcome to the Annie gamers Podcast. This is episode number 141. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and not with me today is David Estrella. In his place is, once again, substitute co-host and the editor of this podcast, Patrick Sutton. Welcome back.
1: Hey, I'm here again to once again talk about anime and video games. Mostly anime and manga,
0: I think, in this episode, it looks like. Well, shit.
1: Yeah. And we
0: are, again, talking about some uh, some news, or not really news, but some convention stuff. Uh, so we're, we're going to chat about a convention, a virtual convention that just happened yesterday, as of this recording, Otakon Online, the virtual version of at least my favorite anime convention. I don't know about yours.
1: Yeah, it's mine at this point, yeah.
0: Uh, so that just happened. Uh, I did some panels at it, and we'll talk about that. And then we've got a review of a manga that both of us have read uh, to completion, it's the Dude Children manga, which is a romantic comedy that, believe it or not, we are both really into. Even though I-, I would say I'm not necessarily always a romantic comedy guy, but uh, but it, yeah, it's pretty cool. So let's uh, let's dive into the Oticon Online stuff. Uh, so we both attended, quote unquote, this uh, <laughs> this virtual convention. It was a one day con. Uh, at around the same time of year that, that Otacon usually happens. Uh, and it was all on Twitch, uh, as as most of these things are. Uh, they had an interesting setup where they had, like, what,
1: five? Six. It was six Twitch feeds going on at once.
0: Yeah, and so it included two panel rooms, one that was had sort of guest events and things like that, and then some other stuff that I occasionally, like, ducked into which was like a video game stream a cosplay stream or a video there wasn't a separate cosplay one there was a workshop one that had like kind of cosplay workshops and things
1: yeah it was like a workshop channel specifically a gaming channel but then it also had some music stuff and then the right stuff panel was in there
0: yeah, I didn't even see the Right Stuff panel because I forgot it was happening and it was in a different schedule.
1: Yeah, I woke up immediately after the Right Stuff panel, so I missed it. Uh, and then the third one was kind of a hodgepodge, like or the, the sixth channel, I guess, was a hodgepodge where if you know Otakon, if you've been there in the past, um, one of their traditions is they always play otaku no video at the beginning and end of the convention. Oh, right. In this channel... They streamed Otaku no Video at the beginning and the end of this feed. Um, and then in the middle, there was, like, Maid Dance Show, and then some Otakon staffers playing, like, d
0: It was a little weird. Uh, the, I, I actually did tune into the d one, and I was like, what is going on? They're just watching people roll. And I get there's there are shows that people watch that are, like, watch people do d right? But usually those are... Um, entertainers doing it right it's actual like actors or podcasters or whatever yeah
1: like the the rpg one is one where i'm gonna get this criticism out of the way at the beginning of all of this and this is something that uh stands for all of these uh digital conventions um is if you're gonna be on camera don't be in your bed
0: oh i did see that i got yeah no, that's, like, that I was an immediate thing I noticed. It was, like, why do you not do this? Just, like, a little bit of professionalism,
1: please. There were a handful of people that were clearly, like, laptop in bed, like, streams, and it's, like, I get it. Find a desk and put something behind you. You don't have to have a fancy, like, podcaster or staged backdrop or any of that stuff, but get out of bed. Just sit at a desk or a table or anything uh, it's going to look better. Honestly, no
0: camera is better than a camera on you in a bed. <laughs> Just audio only is better.
1: Yeah, if you ha- if you feel you have to be on camera, take one more step.
0: Right, right. So that's uh, yeah, that's a good point. I think there were definitely some folks who had not great camera setups uh, and people who had like slide presentations where i was just like man this could have you could have just shown the slides but i but oticon did kind of encourage people not explicitly really but just through the way that they uh, the way their documentation was written for you know how to submit panels they kind of were encouraging people to include webcam footage whereas you know um it was the opposite for anime lockdown and a lot of these panels didn't need someone to have a webcam i kind of would have preferred to not do it but it felt like that was kind of the expectation from them so i ended up doing it also i'm in a little bit of a better i don't know i feel like not everybody has the same kind of experience with like you know podcasting and being on camera and stuff so it's like i i wouldn't expect everyone to, to have to put themselves on camera
1: i mean doing a recorded presentation to your webcam is hard yeah. It's a yeah. very difficult like thing to do and it's a skill you have to develop because you're talking at a screen and you're not talk you're not getting any feedback and you're kind of, mm-hmm. it feels really awkward. Um so yep. if you're not comfortable with it, I think largely like the answer is just don't do it. Really. And I don't think ultimately for most of these panels, I don't think it hurts it to just um mm-hmm. not bother with the webcam. Even if like I I think this is something we'll get into in a little bit, Uh, I suspect. uh, Like, Otakon kind of set strange expectations for what they wanted from people that were a little confusing at times, but I do think there is a, this is not something you need to do, and don't feel like you're obligated to it, uh, because if you feel uncomfortable, chances are everyone else is going to feel that too.
0: Well, yeah, this is kind of tying into the behind the scenes of how the panels were put together. But something I immediately noticed when I started putting my panels together is like you said, you know, it's pretty difficult to do, uh, you know, an hour or half hour long presentation in front of a webcam. And it's like, it's, it is very different and actually harder in a weird way than like just doing it in front of a live audience. Uh, Certainly harder than the times I've done videos before when I had like, an editor who is going to piece it all together because the other thing is like if you do multiple takes, if you screw things up, it's, you know, in this situation where it's just a, a person recording their own panel, then it's like on you to edit it all together and make
1: it look smooth. Yeah. That's really hard too. Cause yeah, a lot of people, chances are the people doing these panels aren't used to doing that stuff at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do they even think about going back and re-editing their stuff, or like they they flub something? Do they go back and repeat it, or they edit it out, or any of that, or just let things go? Yeah. And there's different expectations from the audience because they know it's pre-recorded, and mm-hmm. all of those mm-hmm. different things that are hard on people doing these digital panels, and I, I I respect and I get all of that. Like when like the only one I've done. We pre recorded the panel. We didn't use webcams. And I, I spliced everything together with like, because it was a round table with like photos of everyone that would pop up.
0: I think a round table is actually much, it feels to me, I haven't, I haven't done one of these, but it feels like it would be much easier than a presentation because there's more of an expectation of kind of it being a little less formal and, you know, people might misspeak or whatever. And it's fine. It's like more conversational, right? Yeah. Uh, but when you're doing a presentation, if it sounds too conversational and like you're just kind of one taking it into the camera, that that is weird if everyone expects it to be pre-recorded and polished.
1: Yeah, and I and I'm confident that a lot the, probably the majority of the content here was one take like stuff straight into the camera. And not, and I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just like an expectation thing that people have to kind of figure out.
0: Yeah. So maybe, uh, I'll, I'll double back with my specific, like what I went through as a panelist, but let's kind of talk about the stuff that we watched at the convention. So there were a couple cool folks who did panels, uh, some, some friends of, friends of ours. Uh, some people I'll just kind of shout out that I saw panels from, uh, I watched, uh, Part of Daryl Surratt from Anime World Order's um, 30 years ago anime in uh, 1990. That was uh, scheduled against my panel. It was scheduled against anime before Astro Boy. And a funny thing about this is, you know, I wanted to be in the the chat for mine and just see what people were saying and answer questions if people were asking stuff. But I also, I wanted to see Daryl's panel. And that was possible because they were all pre-recorded. So I could actually leave mine on muted and then just watch Daryl's and then occasionally check the chat on mine. Uh, so that was kind of a funny thing. Um, his panel was really good, I mean, as as expected. Talked about, uh, there were only like a, a handful of shows I think he had time for, because as I don't think we noted here yet, the panels were all 30 minutes instead of an hour, which is, is very unusual for an anime convention panel. So everybody had to adjust their planning to fit the 30 minutes. But, but I think uh, just, yeah, to know kind of like how Daryl set it up, it's just kind of listing shows that came out in 1990 and talking about what their their relevance is, you know, for the trends of the time and things like that. And what I think is, is cool about the way he does it, which is a little different from the way I do it, it's kind of similar to the way Mike does panels, uh, Mike Tool, who I, I'm also going to mention, is he does a lot more, like, intricate clipping of stuff where... There will be like, you know, one clip from a show and then he'll, he'll show another clip of like, oh, here's just 30 seconds from this other thing. And then here's like a supercut I made of these other scenes. Uh, and I, I think it works pretty well. It's a lot more work than what I typically do, which is picking one representative clip from something and showing it. Uh, but it kind of gives you this nice little like guided tour of the show. And then he moves on to the next one.
1: Yeah, I unfortunately missed that one. But yeah, he's great at that stuff. That panel was too early in the morning.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, that's worth noting, maybe, is, you know, Otakon usually takes place in Washington, D.C., on the East Coast, of course, and that meets on Eastern Time. So this was all scheduled as if it were running at the D.C. Convention Center, and everyone is, like, waking up at the con and showing up to the panels. But it it's a virtual convention, so I actually would have expected it to take into account the fact that there are people watching from other time zones and not schedule things at, like, uh, what turned out to be 7.30 a.m. Uh, on Saturday morning in California, which is when my panel was.
1: Yeah, but I, I think you could say the same thing for, like, uh, like, AX stuff running late.
0: But but the thing is, this, this whole thing wrapped up at, like, 6 p.m. Eastern time. It could have just shifted it all a couple hours and then been you know, in a decent time period for the whole U.S. or the whole continental U.S., right? Like, it wouldn't have been too late if it ended at, like, 8 or something.
1: Sure. I mean, I think it's interesting that it ended so early, for that matter. Anyway, so
0: there was that. Uh, Mike Tool did bootleg anime from South Korea, which was great. I think I've seen a version of that at, like, live at conventions before. I think it's really notable that he takes this thing that people kind of dismiss, right? That's like, oh, yeah, South Korean animation. That's It's cheap or it's like, it's outsourced or whatever. And he actually like kind of digs in and tells the story of South Korean animation as like its own industry, not just as a thing that people hand wave about anime.
1: Yeah, that panel's great. Uh, I'd seen it in the past and I watched this one and it was, yeah, one of one of the best put together ones of this event for sure. And I think like, he sped up a bunch of his clips, specifically for the panel, to to hit that time mark, which was clever, and didn't necessarily hurt it.
0: I didn't notice that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I didn't either, and then Daryl was tweeting about it, so huh. that's how I found out.
0: Uh, other ones I watched, I watched the, what did she call them? Like, Marvelous 49ers? Fabulous 49 Fabulous. It was like a different adjective than I've usually seen, but the, the Showa 24 group panel... Uh, talking about the 70s shoujo manga creators who kind of revolutionized the way shoujo was drawn and shoujo stories were told. And that was by, I forget her name, but I know her. Megan? Yeah, I know her uh, her Twitter handle, uh, Brainchild129. And that was very good, very well presented. I I guess she's probably reading off of like a a script. It was like a nicely put together panel uh, that did a good job of covering a lot of that history and introducing people to the the titles uh, in 30 minutes. And some of them were titles I didn't know. Like, I know, I know a lot of the big tentpole, Showa 24 group stuff, but I haven't delved into a lot of, like, the things that are unlicensed in the U.S. and things like that.
1: Yeah, I caught that one, too. She did a really good job of getting as much information in as possible in as little time as she had. Yeah, yeah. And not making it feel like it was less than as a panel. Mm-hmm.
0: I also would note, just because I saw, you know, I don't want to name names or anything, but I, I think I, I saw some other panels that didn't do this. And it's worth noting that I think, you know, the, the best panelists out there do this, where, you know, they, they sort of weave an actual story into it. So it's like, it wasn't just a list of titles or a list of creators. It was, it was actually kind of showing this development and showing trends and, And it, you know, there's, there's variation. It's not just like slide with picture of a, of a show and then a video clip from the show or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes that's, that's all you get from it. And it doesn't feel like there's like a kind of story being told by the, the presentation. And that was one that definitely did like give a sense of kind of getting this nice tour of the whole, um, the whole like world of the show, at 24 group. The other one that stuck out to me is, uh, another one from a friend, uh, Nate AM, uh, at sign kbnet on Twitter, who uh, I know listens to the show. So hi, Nate. Uh, so he did a great uh, Kyoto animation panel that I caught some of.
1: Yeah, I caught all of that one, actually. Yeah. What would you think? I thought it was very good. Um, he definitely felt like he was rushing. Mm. Um, because, but I know for a fact that this is like a panel. I think he does like an hour and a half version of this panel. And he did a 45 minute version of it here. Um, and he, he covered a enormous amount of material very, very quickly and did a very, very good job of doing it. Uh, but you could tell he was also like working very hard to get it in the time, which like, I'm not saying is a criticism. I think it's a credit to him for doing it. And I think it was very clearly worth it. And he like got more time for this panel too, right? Because he was 45 minutes.
0: I'm not sure why, but he ended up with an extra 15 minutes compared to the rest of us. So who does he know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who did he have to pay at Otacon to get that extra spot? Yeah, so a couple notable things about it. I I think one of the the things that that Nate does that's interesting, and I've, uh, I've done panels with Nate a couple times before, in, in some ways, some of his panels kind of are they come off less like a um, less like a, you know, historical overview or whatever, or, you know, almost like I mean, they're informative, but but a little less than just or more than just informative. They're also they come off almost like an like an essay, like he's kind of giving his opinion.
1: It ultimately feels like a video essay. It feels like... Yeah, like if yeah. He, if he, like, took what he did here and re-recorded, like, the hour-long version of it and stuck it on YouTube, it would fit there. It
0: has a kind of editorializing thing to it that is is a little different, and it's not even just the way that, you know me or Daryl or you or whatever might like show something and be like, this is cool. And here's why it's cool. Because I think what Nate does is like kind of dives into a kind of larger level, like a little more of a zoomed out view of kind of like his view on like, you know, what, what Kyoto Animation means.
1: Like a lot of it feels like it's him going, here are these people at Kyoto Animation. Here is what they did at this particular point in time. And here is why that mattered. It's taking that next step uh, and make, explaining. It explains the why behind everything and why why he's bringing it up, why it has significance, more so than just like here's the timeline.
0: So that what I'm trying to say is, uh, see Nate's panels when they're at a convention, especially when it's uh, Nate and me doing a panel together. Just like self promotion, no, but Nate is great. Uh, even you know if he's doing a, a solo panel, check those out as well because um, he's he definitely does a. Shit ton of research, I can say, from uh, from working with him on panels. Uh, uh, the other thing that's interesting is he really did edit it together like a video essay, which was very different format wise from what like a lot of us did. Like I think Daryl, me, and Mike, uh, and uh, also Megan, I th- I think to the same in the same kind of way. Like all basically, were giving pre recorded versions of the experience you would get of watching us at a convention, where it's just us kind of talking in front of slides. But Nate's was edited a lot more in a more detailed way where it, it would like kind of frequently switch between like these still images and videos and things and not just doing slides the way you'd expect like a sort of PowerPoint presentation to look. It was like watching a YouTube video, like a like a pre-edited, you know, video essay on YouTube.
1: It's like there's no reason not to do that when you're doing this all digitally. Well, there is one reason that I'll give. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I know where you're going.
0: <laughs> I mean, props to Nate for putting in the work.
1: <laughs> oh, oh yes, the work of it is a big. Part. That's all I was saying is that yeah, it's just a lot of work. <laughs> My issue was going to be, and this is something that came up with his and it came up with uh, Mike's and honestly, all of them is I, I'm I'm very curious what the like back end of how Oticon was like streaming everything worked out. Mm-hmm. Because I had a I had a number of situ of issues where like like streams would just basically fall apart on me. Uh, and like like with Nates, he, he would be talking about, you know, the expressiveness and fluidness of animation or whatever, and I would be getting every like thirtieth frame of something coming through a stream. That
0: that happened to me too. There there was some kind of issue with at least one of the streams had like consistent, uh, consistent problems with being uh, having yeah dropped frames and things uh, having like really weird artifacting, Uh, and I had a similar problem with you know you're talking about fluid animation. I did a panel called Frame by Frame Anime Shot Breakdowns, and you know i i would show some like really amazing piece of animation and, and it would have some you know lag or artifacts and you wouldn't be able to see the animation
1: that was the whole point of the panel that is one of those like broader issues for like otakon and other cons to really think about is like when you're doing this stuff is you need to make sure that whoever is doing the broadcasting one is on very like good hardware and then on a very good network connection to be doing this well now, back to panels, uh, I can shout out a couple other things like that I got to check out. They had a... Um, one of their s- guest spots was uh, Studio Bones did a Q&A, which was... Uh,
0: I, don't, I didn't watch was, that, actually.
1: It was uh, like 11 o'clock, and it was um, uh, Shinichiro Watanabe, uh, Motonobu Hori, who was the director of Carol and Tuesday, and then... Selena Ann, I think that's how you pronounce her name, who is a singer who was the singing voice for Tuesday on Carolyn Tuesday. They did kind of a Q and A. She speaks English. Um I don't know I don't know her deal really beyond that, but she spoke English, so she was kind of like they were like taking, I don't know if they pre-took these questions or if it was live. I th- it might have been live. And they were going back and forth with uh, Watanabe and Hori and her taking a Q- doing a little bit of a QA and a and talking about the show and the music and things of that nature. I only caught half of it and I was half awake for it. But uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool for what I did see of it. Uh, so I did want to mention that so they had like an actual guest thing with like actual, like Japanese like anime people. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah, I would have been very interested in that.
0: I, I di- actually didn't even realize that was going on, and it would have been a little early for me. Also, I think I was ha- I was I was awake from my panels, but I was kind of half awake, just in bed with the the Twitch on. But yeah, I I did watch. Uh, I talked about it on the show before. I, I watched all of Carol on Tuesday, and had some very mixed feelings. But I would I would have been interested to see if there was any kind of back and forth about like. Watanabe's actual involvement cuz a lot of people have talked about that show as like a completely a Watanabe joint but my read is that it is he's like was overseeing it more than he was directing it.
1: I I suspect you're more right than not. Like there was some in the in the way the discussion of that of that panel went that made it feel like it was more like he was there but it was this other guys baby that's that's kind of what space dandy was also yeah, i mean right? well, space and, dandy was like a deliberate like bringing in a bunch of different people to do stuff kind of thing
0: yeah i'm just saying even the even like the series director wasn't watanabe yeah it was it was uh what shingo natsume right
1: other than that there was what anime what can anime teach us about mental health in the hikikomori which uh i kind of stumbled into i didn't realize i was wa- i was watching the panel beforehand and then ended up landing on it because because everything was pre-recorded and it was tight 30 minutes, they went straight from one to the next for the most part, which I liked a lot.
0: They also occasionally had some very funny things happen where they would not switch it over and you would just get the uh, beginning of the panel that just ran starting over again. It would loop. Oh, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, no, whoops. And then they'd put on the next panel.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. But this panel was also pretty good. It it once again felt like a, a thing where they were struggling with the 30 minutes thing, but it was three mental health professionals. They were all doctors. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember their exact qualifications off the top of my head. I don't remember their names for that matter, but, uh, and they're not in the panel description, but it was three doc br- British doctors, um, that are anime fans kind of discussing like mental health issues. And then like representations of mental health issues and representations of the, the the Hikikomori uh, specifically and not just talking about Welcome to the NHK though they did talk about Welcome to the, <laughs> the NHK but it was very good it was um, very clearly people who knew what they were talking about having a discussion on the topic
0: what a concept
1: like yeah I know right uh, so it was like oh I appreciate that this is a thing that's here so I was very relieved by that like I was like okay these are people who know what they're doing and this is this is the kind of panel I expected Otacon for that matter like, someone in that kind of space coming in and discussing it. Like, that's the kind of stuff that makes Otakon, I think, like, special as a con. Like, it it draws these kind of panels. Yeah.
0: It also draws, I mean, the ones I talked about, I think, I mean, all these are good examples, right, of of the kinds of things that I've mentioned before. I, You know, there's a lot of conventions that don't have things like that, and, you know, they're few and far between, and then you mostly get fans having fun on stage or something. Uh, but Otakon's got a lot of these, whether they're from actual subject matter experts and, you know, like, like you said, like actual doctors or just from kind of like journalists or other folks who have done a lot of research into this stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what yeah, that's why Otakon's good. <laughs> really at its core. I do want to shout out uh, my buddy Doug, uh, Doug Wilder from Anime Cons TV. Who did the Wild World of Gundam merchandise? Oh, I didn't realize that was him. I should have watched that. This is a panel he does, uh, re- he's done it a few times at a couple different conventions. I've seen it at Anime Boston. Um, uh, changes it up every time with some new stuff. He did it live. Oof. But, and he did a very good job. He, he nailed his 30, he nailed the time, got through all of his material, and like, did a very, very good job presenting everything. Like, it's a great panel because there's a lot of really weird, like, Gundam merchandise. And the thing is, like, he goes through official Gundam merchandise. It's not like Oh, he doesn't do robot king. Yeah, it's not like here here's the here's the condoms that say Gundam on them or something like that. But it's like, here's the here's the Gundam like car, or here's the Gundam ramen noodles, or here's the Gundam Chinaware. Like, it's it's kinda covers the whole gamut of weird shit you can buy with Gundam on it.
0: That's the, I'm, I'm always into the stuff that's like a little too specific, you know, obviously cause I've got anime burger time. So it's just like, if someone does a panel about some very specific mania of theirs, that's, that's cool.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, th- and this is a fun one that everyone can kind of just have fun. With. It's like a fun panel where it's just like, Hey, here's this like goofy thing. Everyone can kind of relate to and be excited for and then I watched, uh, one, of, I watched the, one of the uh, workshops because I had nothing, nothing that was streaming at the moment. And I was just hanging out on the couch. And I, I, so I ended up watching the how to make a custom eat-a-bag panel. Oh. Which was Ooh. someone making a, like a drawstring eat-a-bag out of an old t-shirt. Huh. Uh, which is like it, it, it's like a group apparently called Shoestring Scientists. They're like cosplay mm-hmm. people, I think. And it was like, yeah, you cut a hole in the T-shirt, and you use like some foam and a piece of plastic to make like the the window, and then it was all no sew too. So it was like, here's how to do all of this without sewing. Huh. It was really really neat. Yeah, and like a a, a, a clever use of the time. A uh, very well done little presentation. It's like it's so like I appreciate that. Like Oticon had. Six streams going and really kind of ran the gamut of the kind of content you would expect at their show. Yeah, it was
0: definitely pretty enjoyable. I kind of wish it had more days. You know, I'd like I would have liked for it to be two days instead of one. But yeah,
1: I've gone. So like that's where we can kind of transition a little bit off of the specific panels, I think. Because, like, mm-hmm. I've gone back and forth in my head about it. It's like, I kind of like that it was just one day. Because, unlike a real convention, I'm not really all that keen to sit in front of my TV all day. so Or my laptop or whatever to, to watch all these panels. So, like, it being a one-day event where I can, like, all right, I'll, I get up at 10 o'clock. It's over at 6 o'clock. I get to see a bunch of panels and... ...move on and I don't have to plan for tomorrow or anything. So, like, I ended up kind of, like, one, liking that, and then two... ...and I know you can talk about this more, um... ...I like the 30-minute panel for the streaming convention. Interesting. I think it's better as a viewer because it ties into that same issue of... ...unlike at a con, like, I wander into a panel room at a con... ...and I sit down and I'll sit down for an hour and watch the panel... Like, if it's a streaming thing, I, at a click of the button, I can be jumping around six different places. And I think the 30-minute panel gives you the right length to get through without, like, the reduced attention span of watching online streams setting in. Or it's like, all right, I, I, I get a 30-minute uh, presentation. Now I can click over to a different one or watch the next one. And it never feels like I'm, like, getting tired of it. I think you are making
0: a compelling point, which is frustrating for me, because I would like to give hour-long and not half-hour-long panels.
1: Uh, Sure. Like, that's why I, like, that's why I preferenced it, because I know, like, and I know, I I haven't done any 30-minute panels, but I know, like, I've done 45-minute panels where I thought it was, like, hard to get down to that, let alone getting down to 30. I know it's not easy as a panelist.
0: I think it's just that, like, we all get so used to that being the standard format for it, Right. And so we pick our subjects based on what you can cover in an hour, right? And it's same as any any format, right? If you're like talking about making a YouTube video, like there's there's sort of expected lengths for that, and then YouTubers pick what they're gonna cover based on like the length, right? Or like what, what they can fit in the length. So the the bigger problem, this ties into my experience as a panelist. The the problem with what Otacon did is they solicited panel submissions and then told people after the panels were submitted and approved that the panel slots were 30 minutes so that that's a pretty big problem because that's not then you don't you aren't picking what is a subject i can cover in 30 minutes you're picking Based on a, an assumption that you have an hour and then you're told you have to stuff it into 30 minutes. The, but I think, you know, if, if things were an hour in general or a half hour in general, I would probably just have to pick different subjects. Like, I I don't think I would do anime before Astro Boy because I, I just don't think it was it was pretty truncated. There was a lot of material that would have been worth mentioning that I didn't have time for. So I would have to pick a different subject
1: Half of the anime before Astro Boy,
0: Yeah, or anime, uh, pre-war anime or something, like, cut out all of the post-war stuff. Uh, like, some, some you know, more restricted version of it that would more comfortably fit in 30 minutes. Uh, but it's definitely not good to just try to stuff something that was, you know, where the, the breadth of content was designed for an hour, and then try to, like, oh, just cut stuff until I can get it down to 30.
1: Like, that's what I was waiting for you to get to, because, like, that is a legitimate problem and it is something that I feel like I experienced watching the panels was oh this is something that someone had wrote or prepared for an hour and it was truncated to 30 minutes and they literally just cut it at the 30 minute mark it's like yeah he said like all right well this is the end of the panel it's like okay you clearly ran out of time and just stopped here instead of like forcing yourself to pick bigger chunks of stuff which is one of those like tough decisions you have to make.
0: That's what I did for Astro Boy. I had for anime before Astro Boy. I, I had to pretty relentlessly cut stuff. I had to just pick and be like, okay, in this time period, you know, when I'm talking about like major technological changes in anime, I can't really afford to talk about more than one thing that has a clip associated with it. So I have to cut everything else and then relegate anything else to like a one line bullet point that I can just say. And then this came out next.
1: There were a few situations where it distinctly felt like someone like that where they just truncated it well and and i want to say
0: i have a lot of sympathy for that because the other aspect of the submission process is that uh there was no description when submitting when uh applying for panels of what the deadline was going to be when they were approved so what otakon did is they at least for me i don't know if they did it on a rolling basis but for me they got back to me about my panels being approved and told me that it was about 12 days until the submission deadline and then three or four days after that maybe 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 two or three actually the two or three days after that uh they were like oh by the way just a reminder your panels have to be 30 minutes not an hour and so then it's like okay take the panel that i planned for an hour not necessarily that i already prepared right because that's not the way at least most people do anime convention panels like i don't i don't start putting the presentation together until i know that i'm actually going to do it <laughs> i'm not just like doing spec work for the convention uh and so, and so it's like okay you have a week and a half to prepare the panel also we're telling you that even if it's already prepared you have work to do because you have to go in and cut it down to 30 minutes uh and even if it, and if it's brand new you have a week and a half to do the panel from scratch and you have to pre-record it. So you don't just have to prepare it and then present it.
1: Yeah, like don't get me wrong, I am 100% sympathetic to all of that. That definitely sucks. Which like a lot of that in frankly a lot all of that is on Oticon for uh, weird um weird messaging, not telling people everything. Probably cuz they hadn't actually decided on any of this in advance.
0: Yeah, it's it seems like this was this was just them trying to do this, you know, flying by the seat of their pants and making decisions on the fly.
1: And like in some ways they may in some ways they made it work really well, but that if they do this again, then there's a lot of expectations that they don't make these mistakes a second time.
0: Yeah, they're lucky. They're lucky because they have, you know, their their regular convention has done a great job building up a community of Panelists who can give them great content for free by the way none of any of this is paid and in this case You don't even get reimbursed with a free ticket or anything. So that was something that was a little frustrating and Yeah, so like the but but they you know They've built up this group of people who are willing to do this and so even with all those mistakes They still got a lot of great material from people because there's people doing a lot of good research uh, I will note I did talk about this on Twitter uh but something that was frustrating about this, though I don't think Otacon is trying to do anything shady here, is that they did have a waiver that gave uh, gave Otacon rights to anything that you submitted to them. I think it was just intended to be a sort of catch-all for, like, that's what they would usually do in the live convention for, you know, if someone from Otacon takes a photo of you while you're presenting or something. Uh So I don't think they're planning on like reusing the videos we uploaded, but uh, it was something I was definitely taking issue with. It's like, you really can't ask people to do this work for free, submit it to you, and then it belongs to you. (laughs) I think it was more of a cover your ass thing. Pretty sure everyone is still allowed to re-upload their, you know, their videos elsewhere. You know, if people want to put them on their Patreon, I don't think Otacon is planning on releasing them. So they're not going to like cut into your Patreon money or whatever. Like, re-releasing them, I should say, right? Because they put them on the stream, but I don't think they're going to upload them to YouTube without people's permission or whatever. All right, that that went actually much longer than I expected. Uh, <laughs> that was Otakana Online. Let's uh, let's let's move on here, I think, and talk about Sude Dude Children, a manga series that I read. I finished it relatively recently, uh, and you finished it a while back, I think?
1: Uh, Yeah, when, I mean... I finished it whenever the last volume came out in English. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Before we get into this,
0: I have to give my disclaimer that I gave last episode as well, because this is also published by Kodansha Comics in the US. And in my day job as a freelance web developer and designer, I uh, do work for Kodansha Comics. So uh, I'm not here in a capacity to promote them. Uh, This is just a manga that I happened to check out that I really liked. Anyway, what is sudodude children or sude zude children? It's there's two different ways of romanizing that word, uh, which I've, I was double checking this before and I've already forgotten what that word actually means.
1: I think it means like tedious or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: that that's it. It's tedious children, which I think is a decent description of the children in this manga. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a four-panel romantic comedy manga uh, based on a web comic that it has a very weird name. Uh, it's named after the author. It's called Toshia Wakabayashi's Four Coma Collection, like four panel comics, Four Coma. Uh, and so this was, you know, a redraw basically of his webcomic uh, that was a, you know, four panel comic, the, the vertical four panel strips. And it was serialized in, in uh, some of the variations on. on Uh, shonen magazine kodansha's magazine uh, started in 2012 it's got 12 volumes and they're all out now in english uh from kodansha comics it also got an anime adaptation uh, which i have watched a little bit of for comparison we'll get into kind of how i compare that to this manga and uh, in terms of kind of who made it i already mentioned his name toshio wakabayashi i actually didn't double check if he made anything before this
1: uh i think it was just like a um a webcomic guy and like a Dojin guy he shows up on an episode of uh what's that uh series um why did you come to japan oh really the one that like random episodes uh, will show up on crunchyroll huh he shows up on an episode of that which i found out watching the show uh while drinking with some friends uh <laughs> we're watching it and it's like this some some white guy goes to japan uh, to go to comic to meet artists to bring their work over to the US. But it's like this dude definitely trying to rip people off or like that didn't know what he was actually doing. And the guy he like latches onto, and this is all on the show, the guy he latches onto is Wakabayashi.
0: That's so funny. Wow. There's actually a funny story about Wakabayashi that I, I have in the notes here that we'll get to about an interaction with a uh, a. An international fan of his. Uh, I, I believe this is digital only from Quancha Comics. Uh, it's the kind of thing I actually would possibly like to own in print, but oh well. Uh, so, here, what is it about? This is an ensemble high school romantic comedy. Uh, the ensemble part is is very important. There is no main character. It's a giant cast of dozens of uh, kids, teachers, parents, and a, a handful of like alumni of the school. Uh, and the, the whole idea is almost every character is paired up in some kind of potential couple that, you know, they have a crush on someone, someone has a crush on them. Sometimes uh, very often it's like two, you know, guy and girl, uh, who have like a crush on each other. Uh, but sometimes there's also kind of like love triangles worth noting here. Disappointingly, 100% straight. Uh, there's, there's, there are no gay couples in this, which is very unrealistic to a real high school (laughs) or just real life in general. (laughs) So the the and the the general idea we we mentioned that they're tedious children. So the the whole joke is it is kind of taking the trope of the you know the real life trope I guess as well as an anime manga trope of you know the the kids who can't manage to confess their feelings to each other and kind of amping it up to the the highest possible level of awkwardness where everyone is just constantly. They want to confess, but they they you know can't get the words out or they they say something that gets misunderstood, and then they they get sort of over committed into this this giant misunderstanding where nobody manages to confess to each other. Uh, and it, it's all kind of just about like that awkwardness. That's kind of the best word to describe it, right? I mean it's it's very much about watching these kids get into increasingly awkward situations, trying to tell, tell each other how they feel
1: yeah they're all extremely awkward um and the tedious part is that they're they're, they just never get past like especially like so the initial couple like the the ones that are from from the majority of like the original webcomic strips are like these two kids that like each other and not very it doesn't take very long for it to be very clear that they know each other likes each other but they're still like terrified of doing anything so they're constantly <laughs> dancing around it and doing nothing about it and it it is exactly that it's extremely tedious it's like okay come on there's come no on, reason come on. for this anymore <laughs> get to the point that is the the whole joke of it is come on just do it what are you doing <laughs> but like the the other part to it is because it's an ensemble thing yes that's not the only joke like all the all the all the pairings are in kind of a different stage of that relationship like some of them are already together some of them are still figuring out whether they like each other or not some are, some are somewhere in the middle
0: uh, some of them are are unrequited too which i was i was kind of keeping track of i was like there better be some of these that don't work out and some of them don't work out like people end up just being friends or something uh yeah i think the that the first couple that shows up is a, a very good example because like one of the first gags in the both the original webcomic and the the redrawn the one that we're talking about is them it's like the girl calls the guy out to confess to him and it's obvious to both of them you know like we're obvious to him that she's about to confess and he's like all right she's being really awkward it's taken 10 minutes she hasn't said anything maybe i should confess and then he's like no, but then I'd be taking away her thunder. This is her chance to confess. And then she's like, just
1: she refuses to say anything. He refuses to say anything. It's like, you both know what's going on here. And like, I think at one point he actually does say, fine, I'll do it. And then she makes him stop from doing it. Or it's just like, OK, come on, like, <laughs> just do it. Like, I mean, spoilers, whatever. It's like it's the entire fucking comic to get to them doing it. It's the end, right? Like
0: Right, they're the final couple that gets together. Yeah. It is it is kind of cool we're we're jumping ahead to I mean spoilers, I guess, for this thing. There's not really much of a spoiler, but like it is kind of cool that like the couples like you said they're at different at different phases. And so over the course of the manga, you know, e- there's kind of these milestones where each of them end up resolving it, either getting together or or like, you know, someone confesses and it's it's unrequited. Uh and so you kind of get this nice thing where you're watching them one by one resolve their relationships. So like some of them will resolve in the first volume and then other ones resolve like all the way in the last volume.
1: Yeah. And like some of them they'll resolve and then you'll continue following them as a couple.
0: well. That's also, that's a great, that's one of the things that makes it so good is that it, uh, you actually follow them as a couple and then there's more jokes, right? There's, there's them continuing to be tedious about like taking the next step of their relationship or just how they interact in other ways. Yeah. So, so that's basically what it is. Uh, it is really, really funny. That's why we, we both, you know, are, I think are very happy to to be reviewing it and telling people about it. Is like I, I kind of, you know, I thought the art looked cute and I gave it a try. And I've mentioned many times on this show before that there's a lot of anime comedies that are more cute than funny. And they're just kind of like, oh, that's, that's fun. Like I'm reading, um, right now, I, I, I decided to give a try to, just as an example, not a romantic comedy, but uh, The Emperor and I, which is a, a fun little, like, uh, I think it started as a webcomic, but it's a Shonen Jump thing. I don't know the whole story, but it's it's about a uh, a high school girl who has a an emperor penguin as a pet, right? And it's like kind of funny, but it's not. You're not really like laughing out loud. It's just it's it's cute. She has a penguin. Cute stuff happens. This is like a full on sitcom, and, and we were we were kind of talking about this in the pre show it's uh there's there's no cruft around the jokes it's just jokes it's all four panel comics all the way through everything is a bit everything is like leading to a punchline it is
1: a, it is an emphasis on the comedy like it and it's very clearly someone who knows this genre of like romantic comedy manga so he knows what you're expecting and he knows how to like make a gag out of it every time and it doesn't feel like it wastes a lot of time cuz Early on, it's very much, like, very quick bits of story. Like, one or two, uh, strips. And, like, it starts to, like, stretch that out a little more and use more strips Mm -hmm, to tell mm -hmm. its stories. But it's still hitting its jokes constantly. It still knows that it's a a four-coma comic strip and it needs to hit a punchline with four strips for the most part.
0: I've definitely seen four-coma comics that, uh that kind of fail that, where they, they try to start telling a longer story and it starts to just be a regular manga, but but split into these four panels. And yeah, this definitely has, it's not always like a really clear punchline everywhere, but there's always like some kind of reaction shot or something in every single comic. Like there's always something to at least chuckle about before you move to the next one. And that's actually like notable, like or, or like it's it's kind of remarkable how well he does that. Because like you said, they're, they're actually... Oftentimes, telling these like you know, it's it's a whole conversation that the characters are having over the course of multiple pages. But there's there's every single time there's like the cadence of like there's always a punchline every every four panels there's a punchline punctuating the conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes from that they're they're all just dumb kids and like they can't like they're an awkward situation so like they can't help but make stupid jokes to get themselves out of their awkwardness. Right. Um, And and the other part is Wakabayashi's um, absolutely brilliant uh, reaction shot. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) They're so good.
0: (laughs) He has, like, so many different varieties of them. Uh, There's a lot of blushing, of course. There's a lot of great shots of characters... uh, he, he, he particularly does this thing where characters are just looking completely flustered and crazy and their, like, eyes are spiraling and their mouth is wobbly and they're just, like, they can't handle what's going on.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's just, it's absolutely great because it's just so visceral. If you feel how weird and awkward it is all the time, which is just really, really fun. And, like, and it's funny on its own.
0: Yeah, 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 true. It's also that characters don't... um. They don't always react in the kind of, like, Tsukomi, Bokeh, like, you know, they're not always just just blowing up on people, which is a common, you know, anime, manga, comedy trope, right? Where someone says something stupid and the other person blows up on them. What Part of what makes it so funny in terms of, like, portraying the awkwardness is that the most common reaction a character will have to something isn't to kind of freak out. It's just to kind of like be frozen in place in this like state of of being completely flustered or embarrassed or whatever right like they they just don't know what to say because that's the
1: point right like they're just awkward and that in the and it brings out the humor in the awkwardness
0: yeah for sure I feel like we covered a lot of like the the basic you know why is it funny which I was worried we wouldn't be able to because it's always hard to describe why a comedy is funny right other than just like it's funny I laugh at it uh, but I, I think it's it's uh, best to always you know have some examples, and of course we're talking about uh, we're talking about couples and and you know romantic comedies, so we have to list the best ships. Who are the best couples in uh, in Suda Children? You wanna you wanna pick a couple
1: first? I mean whatever. We're gonna talk about the same one to start, I guess, and then we can go from the rest of them. So there's a there's a pair uh, Sunagawa and Toda. So Sunagawa is um. Uh, which one's the guy and which one's the girl? I can't remember.
0: Uh, I think Tsunagawa's the guy. I've forgotten a lot of these names. I had to look them up before the
1: show. It's an ensemble cast thing, and you kind of get to know their faces without really having their names click in your head, because they don't say their names a ton. Uh, so they're both, like, these really stoic kids that hang out with each other a bunch, and they get together, I think they're at, like, Starbucks, they're at a coffee shop, Mm -hmm. and they're sitting at, like, a, at the table drinking coffee... And they're like, Yeah, so like I think like Sunagawa. if Sunagawa was the guy, whichever one's the guy, says something along the line, Yeah, so what's his name? What's his name and what's her name got together? How about that? And she's like, Yeah. And so do you wanna go out? It's like, I guess. <laughs> well are you sure? <laughs> uh, sh- I, I don't I don't know. It's like, well then never mind And then she like, Well maybe and it just they like they, they, they're both extremely wishy washy it's like not taking any of it seriously. The notable thing is they're not
0: awkward like everybody else. Like, they're not getting flustered. They're just... They both seem like they don't care at all.
1: <laughs> they're both, like, indifferent to it. Yeah. But they end up, like, agreeing to go out as a result of this conversation. And then every every bit with them is just continuing this, like... Pretending to be completely indifferent to everything. While slowly grow like getting slightly more together but still being really indifferent like even there's like there's like a bit where they're like oh do you want to hold hands it's the same kind of thing where it's like she'll say no but then yes and then no and then yes or
0: like they will they will hold hands and it'll be like is it is this good and they're like i don't know i guess but yeah sure (laughs) like it's like no not interested yeah uh, but I think it's notable, like what makes them so funny, is that they don't react, right? So you've you've been trained for this whole comic that everybody has these like insane reactions to being asked out or to being, you know, just being put in an awkward situation, and the punchline with them is there's no punchline. They just they just don't do anything. They're like, okay. Like, exactly where the punchline would be is a character not reacting to anything at all. Uh, so, they're great. They're also some of my favorites. Uh, I really like one of the main couples. Like, there's a couple couples that, I, you know, are some of the earliest ones that get introduced, and they, by the end, like, it's clear that they're kind of, like, a big focus. You know, they get big... Uh, they get a lot of attention uh, for, you know, when their stories get resolved. So, one of those is Chiaki and Kana, who are... Uh, I, I really, really like them, because uh, their whole thing is that they're just constantly doing comedy bits together and they're, like, you know, doing all these jokes. It's like, bang, shotcha, uh, I'm pretending to be shot or whatever, right? And there, there's a great joke that, they, this is in the anime, where Kana thinks that they've been... Or she, she's like, oh, you know, we've been going out for months. Uh, and it turns out that it was... She asked him out and he, like... She's like, I really like you. And he's like, not as much as I like you. And he just thought it was a joke. He was like playing along with the bit. <laughs> and like for months, she's assumed that they've been going out.
1: Yeah, that one's brutal. Actually, <laughs> like, like when she like, like, she's like horribly heartbroken when she realizes that they, he didn't think they were dating that whole time. Because she's like complaining that they, like, he's not making a move on her, basically. It's like, well, why, why isn't anything happening? It's like, well, he didn't think you were dating. D-
0: yeah, it was a, it was a joke, right? Dating was just a joke we were doing, I thought. <laughs> uh, they're pretty good. They also have a great uh thing where like it's them constantly trying to like take the relationship to the next level and uh, one of my favorite characters is Chiaki's mom who is uh just a complete busybody about, like, whether her son is uh, kissing or having sex with his girlfriend. And so she'll, like, constantly interrupt them or be like, oh, you kids have fun upstairs? <laughs> like,
1: and it's not like in the, oh, don't you dare do this. No, no, no. Thing. She wants them like, to. She's yeah, like... <laughs> like, so, bone yet? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, she's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's, she's fantastic. One of the best characters. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. Let's see. Uh, there is... Uh, there's an otaku guy. There's two otaku guys who are great. They're they're two of the the best characters. They're like mi- they're both miserable and have low self esteem, but they support each other. They're like best buds. Uh, one of them is Yamane, who's got a great design. He's got like those big bug eyes. Uh, he's supposed to be like he's ugly or he thinks he's ugly. He's not traditionally attractive. And there's a, a you know a girl he likes uh, who she ends up liking him i get he like saves her from a groper on the bus and it, it, some of his early stuff isn't like the most funny it's just like awkward otaku guy has low self-esteem it's kind of sad but uh later they get into a uh, some pretty funny bits uh especially for like a nerd like me it's like he is trying to share his otaku stuff with her and He's constantly like flustered about like, oh my God, am I going to show her something that's going to like freak her out? And, and it's just her being like, I just want to hang out with you. And he's like, do you want to watch uh, the, the anime? I have this anime and this thing and we can pl- play this video game.
1: She's like, shut up. Like, I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> like that one's great. Like, like there's a bit and it's before they're dating, if I recall correctly, where she goes with him to like the uh, like essentially comicette. Yeah, like, yeah. He's like, I don't know if this girl likes me, but she really wants to hang out. and She really wants to hang <laughs> out this weekend, but she definitely doesn't like me. But she really wants to hang out this weekend, and I'm going to Comic Con with my buddy, so she's gonna come with us. And it's this extremely obvious she's trying to get him to go out with her. And she doesn't even like manga, like or she likes manga like anybody does, I guess.
0: But she's she's not like a an otaku. But she waits on the lines at Comic Con with him, and he's like, oh, she probably doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. There's uh Patricia and Keisuke. Uh Patricia in particular is very funny. She's got a whole bit. So Patricia is a, a an exchange student. She looks very, you know, she's like drawn with like like clearly supposed to be like blue eyes or whatever. She has blonde hair and stuff. And uh she <laughs> she's got a whole bit where she speaks like broken Japanese and she keeps saying that she's very forward with Keisuke and she's like "I sushi you." <laughs> and he's like uh calculating what does that mean what is she trying to say she must be trying to say suki right like i like you and then every time people try to figure out what she means they're like are you saying you like him like you ski him and she's like no no i sushi him and it's just like her catchphrase <laughs> they're
1: like is she is she mistranslating what is she saying what is she saying They'd add, they'll they'll like and then like she'd be really off put by any any move he makes even though they're very clearly going out like, like, she's very good. She's one of the funniest characters.
0: And uh, I was looking it up, and apparently, according to Wakabayashi, he got the whole idea for that joke from uh, a Canadian reader sending him a message and saying, I sushi your manga. <laughs> it's like a real thing that a foreigner did.
1: I really like uh, the, the character Yuki and Kauru who are first years, that are... So we can talk about one of your favorite characters to kind of set this up. Uh, Satsuki Sasahara So she's a third year And she's the astronomy club president She joined the astronomy club Because she had a crush On the president who was her senior He graduates and they're dating now And she's really Her bits with him are very cute But her funny Her best stuff is with uh, Yuki and Kaoru who are first years That she basically tricks Into joining the club She tricks Yuki who's his first year boy into joining the club because he thinks she's cute and he gets a crush on her. And then his childhood friend, Kaoru, who has a crush on him, joins the astronomy club to be with him. Because she just follows him there. But he's so single-minded in his obsession with the, uh, his upperclassmen. And Kauru is like the classic kind of like Tsunere type who doesn't want to admit that she has a crush on him. So they just, like, end up jabbing at each other constantly. And it's extremely stupid. Like, the entire Astronomy Club bit is just, like, its own sitcom in and of itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. It could be its own show, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really funny that the the Astronomy Club is, is like a lot of these, like, anime, these anime, like, clubs where it's just like, yeah, it's not really about astronomy. But I think notably, in terms of, you know... I, this is what you were saying, I guess, about Wakabayashi really, like, knowing the tropes of these things. And I think to some degree also, uh, it feels like he has a, a better grip on, like, or, or more interest in depicting the the actual, like, awkward romantic exploits of teenagers as opposed to the specific, like, way that anime does it. Because it's not just like, oh, it's cute girls in the astronomy club, but all they do is just be cute for the audience it's like, no, it's like a club where nobody does any of the club stuff, but they're all just trying to date each other, which sounds a lot like, you know, clubs in high school and college.
1: Yeah, it's like like any scene with them at the club, it's just the three of them kind of sitting at the table doing nothing. And they just start jabbing at each other. Because it also turns into um, Sasahara finding out that Kaoru likes Yuki. And like trying to help them get together, or she becomes convinced that they it's like a each
0: matchmaker. Other. Yeah, she's yeah, trying she to-
1: wants to play matchmaker because the the astronomy club is where she met the person she loves. So she <laughs> wants to make it this special place for everybody, where
0: nobody looks at stars, but everybody just like gets a gets a partner.
1: <laughs> yeah, the only one that does astronomy is her senior that graduates. He actually cared about it.
0: Uh, Let's see. So some other ones. Uh, There's uh, Shibasaki and Ubukata. So this is uh, she's a she is in the tea ceremony club and she's like this proper girl, but she actually really wants to play guitar. And so she secretly joins the light music club, which I believe the initial joke is that they're they keep playing next to the (laughs) <laughs> the tea ceremony club and making too much noise.
1: Yeah, she uses that as an excuse to keep going over there.
0: So she's like Sundede about joining the music club, but she doesn't want to admit that it's her. So she wears a mask and takes on the identity of Miss Wabi Sabi. But like the, the one of the funniest jokes, like running jokes in the manga for me, is that everybody in the light music club knows that it's her. And she keeps insisting that it's like, no, I'm a different person.
1: Well, Everybody in the light music club and everyone uh in the tea ceremony club knows damn well that it's her and that she and he like each other yeah yeah but but like she's too stubborn to admit she's her and he's kind of just an asshole mm-hmm. uh so like nothing happens because he doesn't want he's not willing to play the game he's
0: like a you know kind of like punk guy with you know he's got an attitude and he's like plays guitar and stuff
1: so his thing is he constantly calls her ugly which is a little you know eh. but uh that's like dumb teenager stuff
0: yeah yeah it's like
1: oh i call the girl i like ugly and yeah and her just being in denial about it and not wanting to admit anything because admitting that thing like her character is really well developed in that it's like oh like admitting that is admitting that you don't want to just be this perfect like child that your family
0: admits. She has an and, actual arc later. Yeah. Right. Where, with her mom and stuff. You, all right. you You got, we both have one more. So.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't think we agree with each other uh, for. Each oh really? Case. Okay. Uh, yeah. My last one for this list is Akagi and Ryoko who are third years. Akagi is the student council president and Ryoko is uh, this like delinquent girl. And, and Akagi catches her smoking uh on school grounds and bait, and more or less like blackmails her into but going out with him. And, like it's like an inversion on a trope like she's actually like really innocent. She just wants people to think she's like a tough girl. Um and Akagi's kind of a perv and thinks she's hot. Um and so it's a little weird uh, early on, but what I like about it is it it develops into like a really supportive relationship between the two characters
0: where he's helping her to like study for exams and stuff
1: yeah like they're getting ready to graduate and she's like not taking school seriously she doesn't have any friends really but as a result of like spending time with him she starts studying her grades go up she participates in like the uh, school festival and starts making new friends all because of like their relationship with each other him basically encouraging her to be like encouraging her and saying no you can do these things like so it actually ends up being a really uh good relationship it just starts from a really weird place
0: yeah i think i'm not into how it starts that that's why it's not one of my favorites It's, it's a little creepy at first
1: and then um like even though it turns like very supportive in all of those things. Akagi's still perv and is still like, "You're hot. Like, when do I get to touch your boobs?" And it's like, "Not until I get into college and stuff like that." Like, I, 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 think it works. Like, over the course of it, like, it's a, it's got a weird start, but it feels like it, it makes it work, and I like where it ends up a lot more than anything.
0: Yeah. Uh, the other one that I really like, uh, which I maybe you don't like, is uh. Sayajima and Soma so these are the the ones from the um, karate club and the the whole joke is that uh, Sayajima is this like very tall girl who does karate she's like the president of the, the karate club and then Soma is a an absolutely adorable like he's very short he's like she's like a senior or something and he's a freshman something like that and uh, and he's like incredibly weak but he's like I want to be strong uh, and so uh, the Again, like we were talking about the punchlines, like so many of the punchlines are, he's
1: like, all right, hit me with everything you've got. And she's like, oh no, he's so cute. I can't hit him. That one, like there's funny bits with that one. But like my, my issue with that one is the same thing where it's like how it starts is weird because like the entire early joke of that one is she thinks they're dating and he thinks she's training him. Oh yeah. Okay. That's true. And I think it's a really weird, like dynamic. It's also a weird power dynamic when she's like a bigger girl who's yeah. two years older than him. Uh, in in that situation, like it it, it kind of gets somewhere good because like they they resolve some of that stuff, but it starts from a weird spot too. Even though the gags are good,
0: yeah. I guess I didn't I didn't think of it as really creepy. I could see how you could read it that way. I mean, they're both kids. Like I know he's like drawn looking younger. It's not like she's an adult and he's a child or something. <laughs>
1: Sure, that's a different one that has that problem.
0: Uh, yeah, I th- well, let's list best characters and then I will talk about the one that I have a bit of a problem with. <laughs> so uh, some characters that I like, we have not talked about Katori yet who uh, he doesn't really have like a coupling that I really like, but he is really, really funny. He's like this I, I, he's like the the weirdest character in the whole thing because he he has like kind of some kind of supernatural thing going on with
1: him. also implied that he's way older than he's like everyone else. It implies that he's,
0: you know what he is? He's almost like a jokey version of Kaworu from Ava. Yeah. (laughs) He's got like light hair where he's got like this kind of open shirt and he's, uh, he just shows up and uh, it's hard to, I'm trying to describe like what it is that he does. Well,
1: he, he, he calls himself the like love master. Yeah, he's the love
0: master and he'll just appear in scenes and he's kind of posing the whole time like he's a JoJo's character or something.
1: Yeah, he's always got like a rose and he like talks about and he like offers this really cryptic, completely worthless advice to everyone. <laughs> and then they'll be like, and then they'll say thank you or something and then he disappears. And there's like, it's sort of, he's he's completely
0: goofy and most of the characters don't take him seriously. But there's like, like well, at least one girl who like the whole joke is just that she is, she thinks he's amazing. And like, you know, he'll say some one of those stupid pieces of advice and somebody else will be like, what is he talking about? And she'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe he would tell me that. So amazing. So he's he's pretty great. Uh, Hotaru, one of the top tier characters. This is the sister of a uh, one of the, the the main kids. And uh, he's got a girl who is like, uh, you know, asked him out and is, he's very kind of shy and indecisive. And she is kind of like, playful. She's like toying with him and and teasing him and kind of like flirting with him and he doesn't know what to do. And his little sister is very like protective of him. and, And she's like this little gremlin who's just like, get away from my brother. And, you know, it's a kind of common trope. But what I think makes it funny is like, it just, it's not really trying to make her like cute. It's not doing this sort of like creepy, you know, emoto shit with it. it. It the joke is like about her relationship with this girl. And like also the fact that as it goes on this the you know this this like older high school girl who's hitting on her brother is just like it's it's child's play for her to like manipulate this little sister and just be and just be nice to her until she stops being mad at her. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she like it their their interactions are really good because of that. Like it's just she's so good at diffusing the situation and manipulating it that Hutaru just can't actually deal cuz she's like she's actually like
0: a child right i mean that's another thing that like sometimes you know a lot of these shows that try to like romanticize the idea of having a little sister ignore is like yeah they're like she's like 12 or something like she's Well she's a she's in high school by the end Oh of yeah right she's like a year or two younger right but but she's she's still relatively young i mean she's like and that's the whole joke is that she's very easy to like you know She's angry but but you know this other girl can just kind of diffuse it immediately because she's this this kid. She can like buy her ice cream and get her to shut up.
1: There 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 I just remember so the best one the best scene with her and it's uh Minagawa is the girl's name that the is tr- going out with her brother is Hotaru gets a hold of her brother's cell phone while he's, like, taking a bath mm-hmm. and starts texting her <laughs> like he's breaking up with her uh, like, pretending he's her like, her brother, and then breaking up with Minagawa, and then she, like, starts going back at him, or back at her, she figures it out immediately, She's like oh, it's Hotaru, and then she starts throwing back, a, like, these like, implications about a night they had together, yeah. yeah, yeah. that she's pregnant, <laughs> But Hotaru's like just young enough that she doesn't get what she means. Right, right, right. <laughs> and thinks that she's talking about kissing. And like and Minagawa figures it out and like keeps like dropping more and more hints until she has to spell it out to make Hotaru freak out and like tell on them tell on them to her mom. It's really good.
0: Yeah. Really good stuff. Let's see. Who else am I going to uh, talk about here? Onizuka, the rapper guy. Uh, very funny, just on his own. And the the localizers did a great job on this because it's like, it's all the, he speaks entirely in rap, especially in his internal monologue. So to will just start like, ri- like rhyming his internal monologue about like, you know, the test he's about to take in class. And uh, I, I like uh, Motoyama, who's the other otaku guy. Uh, he's just pretty funny. He's like also... Miserable but very supportive of his buddy Uh, and I just want to shout out a thing I tweeted about which is from these great segments they do at the end of the volumes which is like it's just a single question and then each of the characters has to answer it right and so it's set up so it's like this grid of characters answering the questions and then often their answers are sort of like them responding to each other's answers so if, you know it's like where would you want to go on vacation and someone says like paris and then like the person they have a crush on is like uh paris <laughs> like just trying to get in with them uh, but there's there's one i forget what it is it's like what was your life in middle school or something and motoyama's answer very relatable is uh my life has been out of whack ever since i watched a late night anime in my second year of middle school
1: <laughs> Very related. <laughs> I
0: think that's my last uh, of the best characters.
1: Uh, there's one more I want to shout out, and it's actually two whose names I don't remember, unfortunately, and I can't find them. Um, I think her name is Alice,
0: or she calls herself Alice. She's the, the like, uh, <laughs> the
1: stalker girl. She's, like, childhood friends with uh, one of the kids, Sugawara, I believe, um, He's and has a crush on him, but he's, like completely disinterested in her and do, it doesn't even occur to him because he has a crush on um uh, another girl so that's kind of like an early part of the the comic kind of thread but about halfway through she fucks up like a, <laughs> yeah. a a valentine thing and as a result of it this other guy whose name i don't remember at all uh develops a crush on her and thinks she's in love with him That's a great it's such a funny inversion of it. (laughs) Yeah, and is basically doing yeah, exactly. Does the whole thing right back at her and is constantly on her about like liking her and wanting to go out with her and not letting her not leaving her alone about it. It's extreme it's an extremely good gag.
0: Yeah, and she she's like, I'm gonna kill this guy. (laughs)
1: Yeah, she's absolutely miserable about the whole thing. It's not and it's not like a thing that develops into a relationship thing. It's like a please leave me alone.
0: I think there, it does kind of develop into a little bit of there's a little bit of something sweet about it. It's not really a relationship, but I think it does kind of you start to see how she could actually maybe learn to not be a creep because she has like the experience of having someone else like her. And she's it kind of like slightly breaks her out of her like weird obsession with this guy.
1: Yeah, it's more like she stops being obsessed with him than she starts liking the other guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'll just shout out one, not shout out, (laughs) mention one that is uh, not so good. Parts of it are good, but then it gets bad. Uh, There is a teacher-student relationship that at first I actually liked because I, I, I think it was like, you know, I mean, I don't think it's problematic to show like students having a crush on teachers that happens fairly frequently uh the problematic part is is like the teacher having a a crush back on the student so it as like this relationship like starts mostly just being like her having a crush on him and him being completely oblivious and also like very prudent and just like you know not spending any undue amount of time with his students and being very above board and whatever and like he's you know it's, it's all very professional. <laughs> the problem is later when it's like he starts to kind of realize that she likes him. And then it does all these weird jokes where it's about him being like, he maybe he kind of likes her and he's afraid of it. Like, he doesn't do anything, but I just didn't like it. It felt like like he stopped being a likable character when it's like, oh, maybe he has a crush on this teenager.
1: Yeah. Like, the first part of it is, like, when he doesn't realize it's him, he's completely professional. And then the moment he realizes it's him, he starts wavering.
0: And it's, it's weird because the joke could have just been that, like, he doesn't have any feelings for her, but he is awkwardly trying to extricate himself from it. But that's not where it goes. It actually goes to, like, him having some kind of maybe, maybe not feelings.
1: Yeah. But also, it, it never acts on it. And I think at the end, it makes it clear, like, it's not a thing that he would actually do. Right. Right. It still
0: it implies that he has feelings for her, which I thought was weird. Like it didn't have to go there to have a lot of the same comedy. Uh, all right, so I mean we covered a lot of it. I think the examples kind of help illustrate how how good this thing is. Uh, it, it really you may notice if you're if you haven't read it and you're listening to us that a lot of these sound like they could just be their own show. Like each of them might be if you if you made them as their own anime or manga, they would be kind of funny. But like what makes it so good is that all of these are happening in the same story. And they're, they're just, like, you know, layered on top of each other. And even in the, in the later volumes, it gets even even better because when you get to know everybody, then Wakabayashi starts to do, like, ensemble strips with, like, the, the um, school festival or whatever. You know, you get to see the characters paired up in different ways, and it's not just about, like, this couple. It's about, you know, just the boys hanging out, just the girls hanging out, that kind of thing. All right, so maybe wrap up here with uh, comparing it to the anime, which I know you have not seen, right? So... I watched about four episodes of it just in, in preparation for this. I had seen one episode a while ago. I the, I don't like the anime very much. So I think people might have watched this, you know, maybe sampled it or, or even watched the whole thing when it first aired. And if you did and you said, ah, this just looks kind of standard anime rom-com stuff. It's a little funny, but but it's not like, you know, not that punchy. That is not accurate to what this manga is like, so I would recommend you actually, you know, if you thought it seemed, if you sampled the anime, you thought it seemed kind of funny, uh, the manga is a much funnier execution on the same concept. And I think it's because, you know, we were talking about how well Wakabayashi uses the the four panel format and the the way that he delivers these punchlines and reaction shots uh, a lot of that is missing it's harder to get that same punchiness in anime form when you don't have the sort of structure of the four panels so it ends up just being kind of cute and some you know some of the reactions and things are still there and they're kind of funny i think also i just don't really like the way anything's drawn in it everybody has like i know this is i guess this is true on the covers too but everyone has like too much multicolored hair (laughs) it's that very anime thing and the manga, you just get mostly like kids with like black hair or screen
1: tone hair or whatever. Yeah, I don't like all the colored hair.
0: Yeah, I kind of almost, I guess it like takes me out of the, there's an element of realism despite the absurdity to these relationships, right? And to like this realistic awkwardness. And the more that they've all got like green and blue and purple hair, I just kind of like, all right, this doesn't. This feels less like a bunch of real kids being awkward. So yeah, I would recommend uh, check this manga out and skip the anime. But if you watched the anime, then it's uh, that might give you a sampling of it. Uh, that maybe the anime is a good way to sample and just check if the the general idea of it works for you.
1: And I think I'm double checking as we're here. Like if you happen to be like a comicsology unlimited. Uh, user or whatever the kindle equivalent is the first half is all up for oh that's great okay yeah if you're if you're an unlimited subscriber so you can read a big chunk of it
0: yeah and this is definitely not something where you need to worry about if you read like the first volume and you're like am i gonna like it for the whole thing i'm pretty sure if, if you like the first chapter you're gonna like the whole thing like it's it's very consistent throughout it only gets better, really. It just, like, layers more. You know, there's a couple of these things we talked about, the teacher thing, that get a little bit worse. But um, overall, it just layers more. It, it just get, it becomes a, a more, there's more depth to the comedy as it goes, as you get to know the characters. All right, so that is, uh, that's do Duda Children. Been meaning to talk about this for a while, so I'm glad we finally
1: got to it. Yeah, I'm glad I got to talk about it. I like this comic a lot. and People definitely don't talk about it enough.
0: Yeah, I see a couple of people on Twitter mention it every now and then, but I, I'm surprised, like when I first started reading it, I was surprised by how funny it is and how little I had heard about it. It's like, what, really?
1: <laughs> Memeable, like Twitter, like just shareable?
0: Oh my God. I, yeah, I, I took a bunch of screenshots. I think I might've forgotten to post them, but I was taking lots of screenshots while I was reading it where I was like, oh yeah, this is a great joke that is like funny on its own if you just posted it on Twitter. <laughs> So get ahead of your friends, uh, read pseudo duty children and start posting memes. And then your friends can go, what is this manga? It's so funny. And you say, I heard about it on the Annie gamers podcast. All right. So that's it for the show. Uh, before we head out, Pat, where can people find you?
1: You can find my podcast at the cockpit.net. Hasn't been updated in a while, but it is there, but there, there is stuff coming. Um, so keep an eye on that. And then, You'll probably see me on here again sometime in the future.
0: Uh, I write for Otaku USA Magazine and Anime News Network, and I have animeburgertime.tumblr.com. Actually, speaking of anime burger time, I do want to say rest in peace to Peggy Sue's burger place and diner, kind of like a 50s style diner thing in uh, San Jose, California, which just went out of business, uh, partially, I think, due to, to COVID. Uh, they were, for many years, the official burger joint of the Fanime and uh, Crunchyroll Expo versions of Anime Burger Time. So I've, I've had a lot of good burgers, spent a lot of good times at Peggy Sue's. Uh, so that, that's a shame. I was hoping to get back there next time one of those conventions is held in person. In uh, less sad stuff, we, we do have a Patreon You can support us on patreon.com slash to get onto our priority question list, which uh, we didn't have any questions this episode. But usually people who are uh, our patrons at the uh, $5 level get to ask us questions uh, kind of like on the top of the list before we get to everybody else. We will guarantee that your question will be answered. And you can also access, of course, bonus podcasts and articles. We just put up one that I'm... Very proud of. It's an interview with Janice Chan, who was the concept designer on BNA, and uh, she's actually from Canada, works for a studio called Giant Ant, and so she speaks English, and we were able to have a full podcast episode interviewing her about her art in general and her experience on the show, and it was super cool. Uh, we will probably have a text version of that, uh, like a truncated text version of you know some of the questions from that on the blog, but if you want to listen to the full podcast, you got to get on the Patreon and also, of course, the golden ticket remains an important benefit of the Patreon. Give $5 at least at the Patreon per month, and uh, you will be able to force us to review one title of your choice. Uh, pretty big thing. We did that for Liz and the Bluebird, and we are still taking golden ticket requests from our patrons who have not used their ticket yet. You can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Annie Gamers Discord on AnnieGamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions anytime, regardless of what the next show is about, about any topic you want, at podcast at AnnieGamers.com. Or talk to us on Twitter. I'm at sign vamptvo V-A-M-P-T-V-O. AnnieGamers is at sign AnnieGamers, one word. I'm on Mastodon at vamptvo at Mastodon.social. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and Spotify. And we could always use more reviews on iTunes to help people find the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you pat for uh subbing in for david once again yeah it's fun and uh we'll see you all again in about two weeks with our next episode i will promise this now and hope that uh, we don't have any scheduling issues there's going to be a review of bna from uh, studio trigger with guest and fellow trigger fanboy kyle cardi from Crunchyroll news later